0: This program is brought to you with support from the U.S. EPA. We're here to present the EFC Network podcast. The Environmental Finance Center Network is a partnership of 12 centers serving 10 EPA regions. The EFCN provides training and technical assistance to small water and wastewater systems. This podcast series has been designed to help system personnel improve technical, managerial, and financial capacity of the utilities and communities they serve.
1: Welcome to the Small Water System Technical Assistance Podcast from the Office of Water Programs at Sacramento State. This is episode eight, the Water Storage Facility. My name is Rima Danaher, an instructional technologist for the Office of Water Programs at Sacramento State. I'm speaking today with Brian Courier.
0: Hi, I'm Brian Courier at the Office of Water Programs, or OWP. I'm a research engineer. Today's podcast discusses water storage and pumps for small drinking water treatment systems. We'll define what water storage is all about, why it's vital for clean, healthy water. We'll also discuss the importance of pumps, in small drinking water treatment systems.
1: Let's start with the basics. What's the main purpose of a water storage facility?
0: Water storage facility provides enough water to offset the daily demands on the water supply system. In other words, water storage facilities store water at times when demand for water is low. Then it distributes that water when the demand's high.
1: The storage facilities should be able to provide enough water to meet average and peak water demands. Let's define those terms. An average demand or an average daily demand is total demand for water during a period of time divided by the number of days in that time period.
0: Thanks, Freema. The peak demand is the maximum load placed on the water treatment plant, pumping station, or distribution system for a certain moment. This demands usually the maximum average load in an hour or less, but might be specified as the instantaneous load or load during some short period of time. The
1: storage facility not only helps maintain adequate pressures throughout the entire system, but ensures there is sufficient capacity for water storage to meet the needs for fire protection industrial use, and reserve storage. This means that during a fire or other type of emergency, there should be enough water stored to meet firefighting demands, as well as other demands, and still maintain system pressures.
0: That's right. In some areas, the water system may serve industry as well, so storage requirements will depend on the type of industry and the flow and pressure demands on that system.
1: So Brian, can we talk about reserve storage needs?
0: Yeah, reserve storage needs depends on standby requirements and the availability of sources of water supply. Reserve requirements can be specified by fire insurance regulations. Reserve storage can also be provided to meet the area's future growth needs. Reservoirs are our typical storage.
1: That makes it very clear.
0: Well, I'll, I'll add that, you know, you think about a reservoir as an open body of water contained by a dam, but there's also other types. Covered steel, concrete, and redwood tanks are also common.
1: Covered tanks are used in most water systems to store treated water, especially in small water systems. The requirements for a specific storage facility will depend upon a system's individual needs. Water system personnel should consult with an engineer to determine the best type of storage facility that will meet the needs of the water system.
0: Okay, I have one for you. Where should water storage facilities be located?
1: <laughs> to provide the best benefit, water storage facilities should be located in areas closest to the end users where higher pressures are needed. The benefits of this of an efficient distribution system storage facility are demands on the source of water, the pumping facilities, and the transmission and distribution mains are more nearly equalized. System flows and pressures are improved and evened out. This provides better service to the customers. Reserve water supplies are maintained in the distribution system for emergencies such as firefighting and power outages.
0: Thanks, Rima. Clear wells, elevated storage tanks, standpipes, partially buried storage tanks, hydropneumatic or pressure tanks, and surge tanks. These are all common water storage systems. Operating storage tanks will vary depending on the facility design and the demands for water. Typical operations might include filling storage tanks during periods of off-peak electrical demand or maintaining specified minimum pressures at certain critical points in the distribution system.
1: Normally, storage tanks supply water during periods of high water demand. Therefore, during periods of low water demand, the excess pumping capacity is used to fill the tanks before the next period of high water demand occurs. If off-peak electricity is available at reduced rates, use the pumps during this period to fill the storage tanks. All storage tanks should be operated according to the design engineer's and manufacturer's instructions.
0: Absolutely, and i glad you emphasized that point on energy costs that can result in substantial savings throughout a year i'll add that small changes in the storage system such as extending pipes or adding new service connections usually won't change the storage facilities requirements major system changes however such as upgrading larger main lines or installing substantial new service connections can change storage requirements and may require more storage capacity
1: That's right. The water supplier often tries to maintain specified minimum target water pressures throughout the distribution system. When that happens, the pumps are operated to maintain the desired pressures. Sometimes several pumps may be used and they may be variable speed pumps. The operator maintains pressure throughout the system by controlling the number of pumps running and the pump speeds.
0: Water supply systems are often instrumented and automated. Instruments are used to measure water pressures automatically throughout the entire distribution system. They measure water levels in the service tanks. If water pressures or water levels drop below minimum target levels, the pumps will automatically operate until pressures or water levels reach maximum levels and the pump stops. Some systems will have more than one minimum level. For example, pump one may come on at one pressure or water level and pump two may start at a lower level. Operators of automated systems must inspect the pressure gauges and water levels to ensure proper measurement and operation. They must also be sure the pumps start and stop at the proper levels. One way to reduce cost is to apply the time-of-day pumping concept where pumps are used only during the off-peak hours of electrical usage, and usually this is between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Your electrical utility may offer a special rate, as you mentioned, Uh, for usage of electricity during those off-peak hours, and you must be prepared to address unexpected emergency events related to the water system operation.
1: Abnormal operating conditions include excessive water demands, such as during a fire, and broken or out-of-service pumps, mains, or tanks, or when stale water in tanks create taste and odor problems. Emergency plans should spell out how operators should respond when a fire occurs stale water is water that has not flowed recently and may have picked up tastes and odors from distribution lines or storage facilities these plans must be developed in cooperation with the fire department a severe fire will require that all pumps operate at full capacity When that happens, there is a significant danger of contaminated water being back-siphoned into the water supply. Back-siphonage is a form of backflow caused by negative or below atmospheric pressure within a water system. Water flows from high pressure to low pressure. If a non-potable source of water is at a higher pressure than the system pressure, that water will flow into the system and possibly cause the water system to be contaminated. This is called a cross-connection, and water systems must also have a cross-connection control plan to address these problems.
0: That's right, Rima. When large pumps are put into service or taken offline, pressure surges can damage the pipes. Too much pressure can burst pipes. Negative pressure surge waves can collapse pipes. These pumping conditions can also create electrical power surges, which may cause pump motors to stop working and result in even more serious problems. Failures of pumps, mains, and tanks create serious problems for a water system. Emergency response plans must be in place to address these events before they occur, and early planning can reveal the need for backup or alternative systems. Many water agencies have standby pumps and generators for use during these kind of emergencies.
1: Yes, Brian, and the purchase and storage of essential items in advance is also a good idea. Know where you can obtain additional pumps, pipes, fittings, and other supplies during emergencies. Maintain a current list of vendors and chemical suppliers for reference in the emergency response plan. Repairs should be made as quickly as possible to avoid overloading the remaining facilities and to prevent more breakdowns. An emergency public relations program may be helpful to get consumers to reduce water usage during emergency conditions when facilities are overloaded. If people understand the nature and seriousness of a crisis, they will usually cooperate.
0: Yeah, that's right. We've had recent experience with that in, what was it?
1: (laughs) Oh, yes, in Mississippi, Oh my goodness, Jackson.
0: (laughs) Jackson. That's right. We've heard about that recently. That's right, Rima. Plan ahead to keep the plant running smoothly. Another example of planning ahead is when new facilities are built and they're placed into service before a major demand for water exists. If that happens, large quantities of water may remain stagnant in storage facilities for a long time, allowing unpleasant taste or odors to develop in the water. To avoid this problem, periodically allow a storage tank to empty and then refill. The tank could be emptied into the distribution system and used by consumers. If this is not possible, the tank could be drained and the water donated for some other beneficial use to the community. The water should be wasted only as a last resort.
1: So Brian, what should an operator be concerned about regarding daily demands for water?
0: Well, a few things. The main function of a distribution storage facility is to support daily demands, especially periods of peak demand. Operators must be concerned with the amount of water, in the storage facility at particular times of the day. Water levels drop during peak demand and rise during low demand. Water distribution systems have a pattern of daily use. For the operator, you should Study the pattern in order to anticipate those changes in demand. Another consideration is extra water is supplied from storage during hours that consumption is above average. Then water is delivered to fill the storage facility while consumption is low. The water use pattern for any system not only varies during the day, but varies throughout the week, especially on weekends and holidays. Demand for water also varies during different times of the year during changing weather conditions. By understanding these patterns, you can be ready for expected high demand periods. You should know how high the water level should be each morning so that the system's demands can be met during the rest of the day.
1: Very interesting. The volume of water in a reservoir can be determined if you know the water level. Therefore, water level indicators are essential. Devices range from a simple float connected to an indicator on a staff gauge to telemetry, the electrical link between a field transmitter and the receiver. Equipment that transmits information to any distance. Recorders may also be used. Staff gauges normally have water level readings in feet. Note the water level on the gauge and convert it to the volume of water stored in the reservoir. Read and record each water level at about the same time each day. Check at other times of the day to find out whether any unusual demand conditions have occurred. If demand is higher than expected, you should begin increasing the flow to the reservoir sooner.
0: You can also use altitude control valves to automatically maintain water levels. This valve automatically shuts off the flow into an elevated tank when the water level in the tank reaches a set level. The valve automatically opens when the pressure in the distribution system drops below uh, the pressure in the tank. These valves are designed to prevent the storage tank or reservoir from overflowing and maintain a constant water level as long as the pressure in the distribution system is adequate. That's important. The simplest form of level control is a switch triggered by pressure which turns a pump on or off. This switch is often the only control device needed for small water systems.
1: The use of advanced warning alarms to signal low or high water levels is recommended. A number of routine checks need to be made at reservoirs depending on the type of equipment available. If advanced warning alarms are used, you should test them regularly to ensure they will work when needed. In many reservoirs, the water level is controlled automatically. You should be able to test the system as necessary to be sure it is working properly. Time clocks are often used to operate valves or pumps that control water coming into the reservoir. You should check these from time to time and reset them if necessary. If they malfunction, the water level could vary too widely. Problems can also be caused by sticking or non seating valves. You must be certain that all altitude and overflow valves in use are in good working condition.
0: Thanks, Rima. That is a lot about valves. Let's talk about pumps at storage facilities. The most common is a centrifugal pump, right?
1: Yes, you are correct, Brian. A centrifugal pump consists of an impeller fixed on a rotating shaft that is enclosed in a casing and having an inlet and discharge connection. As the rotating impeller whirls the liquid around, centrifugal force builds up enough pressure to force the water through the discharge outlet. A centrifugal pump cannot operate unless the impeller is under water. And never attempt to start a centrifugal pump until you know that the pump is properly primed. Priming is the action of filling a pump casing with water to remove the air. Most pumps must be primed before startup or they won't pump any water.
0: And without it, it could damage the pump.
1: Absolutely.
0: Here's the procedure to follow when starting an electric motor driven centrifugal pump. First, check lubrication. Next, Prime the pump and make sure the pump and suction piping are free of air. Next, reduce electrical current and water surge on startup by starting the pump with the discharge valve closed or throttled. Throttled is partially closed. Open the discharge valve slowly as soon as the pump is running inspect the packing glands to see that water seals are functioning properly and then finally measure the running amperage and investigate any abnormal demands or changes from the usual readings it's
1: quite the list So continuously operating pumps should be inspected on a regular basis. Observe and record pump suction and discharge pressures, output flow, and electric current demands. Also check for excessive or abnormal noises, vibrations, heat, and odors. If the packing glands are leaking a great deal, tighten them to minimize the amount of leakage. This small amount of leakage helps cool the pump shaft and reduces premature packing wear and scored shaft sleeves don't tighten too much and cause an increase in heating or damage to the pump.
0: Thanks for me about the leakage and making sure our pumps aren't damaged. Uh, that was really interesting. Uh, let's also talk about sampling and inspection. These tasks are important to water storage facilities. All storage facilities should be inspected regularly and sampled to check the quality of the water. Sampling data and visual observations can help you establish a routine schedule for cleaning and maintenance of the tank. The following indicators may help you decide when the tank needs cleaning. There are four indicators that help you decide if the tank needs cleaning. One is high turbidity, two excessive color, three taste and odors, and then finally positive bacteriological samples which indicate the presence of bacterial contamination.
1: You don't want that. So you collect samples at the inlet and outlet to the storage facility. Samples should also be taken at various depths and cross-sections, so you can be sure you have data representative of the entire facility. Whenever a routine sample is total coliform positive, you must test the sample for the presence of fecal coliform, including E. coli, and conduct repeat sampling. If fecal coliforms are present in the first routine sample and the repeat samples are also total coliform positive, the total coliform MCL has been exceeded and this is a violation. In this case, additional repeat sampling is required and both the state and public must be notified. The total coliform rule requires each water supply system to develop and follow a written sampling siting plan. Each plan must specifically identify routine sampling points throughout the distribution system and their associated upstream and downstream sampling sites. Sampling siting plans must be approved by local regulatory agencies and the person collecting bacteriological samples needs to be trained to collect samples properly. The analysis of the water sample for coliforms needs to be performed by a certified lab. Many small system operators don't collect these samples themselves. Instead, they have staff from the lab collect the samples and deliver them to the certified lab for analysis.
0: Yeah, that's a very helpful service that many labs offer. That's a really good uh, idea, Rima. Now, faulty storage facilities have been implicated in several waterborne disease outbreaks in the United States and Europe, so You know this stuff really happens here's an example there was a salmonella outbreak in gideon missouri from bird contamination from a covered municipal water storage tank covered what happened pigeon droppings on the tank roof were blown into the tank through a gap in the roof hatch frame poor distribution system flushing practices led to a complete draining of the tanks contaminated water into the distribution system. 31 cases of laboratory-confirmed salmonellosis were identified. Seven nursing home residents died. And it's estimated that about 600 or about 44% of the city's residents were affected with diarrhea. So that's
1: horrible. Yeah,
0: it's, it, this is, it's a serious consequence.
1: Definitely. I see why properly maintained water storage facilities are important. There's one more topic I'd like to discuss with you, Brian, and that is troubleshooting water quality problems in storage facilities. These problems include One, microbiological problems caused by loss of chlorine residual. Two, growth of bacteria. And finally, three, direct entry of birds, rodents, snakes, and debris.
0: Chemical water quality problems can be caused by leaching of chemicals from the tank lining and coating as well. This could cause taste and odor problems. The Quality of disinfection products that may form in the treated water could also increase during prolonged storage. Physical water problems may be caused by settling and collection of sediment rust and chemical precipitates. Water quality in the storage facility could degrade if the water is stored too long as a result of low water demand. Another cause is short-circuiting within the storage reservoir. Short-circuiting is where water is entering the reservoir and exiting the reservoir and leaving a lot of the volume in the reservoir without it being discharged. It short-circuits from the entrance to the exit.
1: Other causes of water quality degradation in the reservoir include bad design, poor maintenance, and poorly applied or cured coatings and linings. If water quality problems occur, you must find the cause of the problem and how to fix it. In some areas where seasonal demands become very low, the chlorine residual in the storage tank may get too low due to long detention times. If this is a problem, extra chlorination stations may be needed in the distribution system or at a secondary or booster pump stations to maintain desired chlorine residuals
0: yeah chlorine residual is really key in addition to troubleshooting water quality problems you should regularly inspect the storage facility be sure that the gate to the facility is locked to keep out vandals unauthorized people the access opening to the facility must be locked provide a seal to keep out rain and debris all vent overflow and drain screens must be in good condition we just talked about the pigeons (laughs) then carefully inspect the tank covers for any defects look at the water surface for debris and dead birds and rodents.
1: Today, Brian, we learned about water storage and its importance in the delivery of clean, healthy water. We discussed the purpose of water storage facilities to satisfy consumer needs and demand, types of storage facilities and where they should be located, the types of pressure in a water system and the use of centrifugal pumps, and the importance of sampling and inspecting water storage facilities to provide clean, safe water to the consumers.
0: Thanks, Rima. For additional information about water storage facilities, pumps, and other water topics, check out the OWP website at thews.owp.csus.edu. There you'll find out more about water, wastewater treatment, operator training courses, plus cost-effective solutions for protecting and enhancing water resources, public health, and the environment through training, scientific research, and Public Education. We'll also post the transcript of this episode and links to other episodes on small water system operation. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you to all our listeners for tuning into this episode of the EFC Network podcast, brought to you with support from the U.S. EPA. Be sure to stay tuned for future EFC Network podcast episodes.